This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Demonstration of High-Frequency Oscillatory Ventilation by Dr. John Arnold and Barry Grenier. Please note that in this video we will be following the guidelines used at Boston Children's Hospital. Some of this information may need to be modified based on the equipment, guidelines, and practices in place in your institution. Today, we'd like to demonstrate some of the fundamental concepts regarding the use of high-frequency oscillatory ventilation. I'm John Arnold. I'm an intensivist working at the Boston Children's Hospital. This is Barry Grenier, my colleague in the Department of Respiratory Care. Uh, we're currently caring for Samantha, who's a 13-month-old with a uh, viral pneumonia who's been on escalating ventilator settings. And Barry, what settings are we on right now? John, we're on pressure control SIMV. She's on a rate of 20. Our peak pressure is 30 and our PEEP is 12 and she's still on 80% for an oxygen concentration. And these settings have been increasing overnight? Yeah, they have been steadily. Okay. So in our environment, these represent toxic ventilator settings. And if I two are greater than 60% for a prolonged period of time represents uh, an increased potential for ventilator-induced lung injury. So this is a perfect patient. She's not breathing spontaneously. She's on toxic ventilator settings uh, in whom to consider the use of high-frequency oscillation. Now, before transitioning to high-frequency, I think it helps tremendously to get a thorough physical assessment of the patient's current respiratory status and hemodynamic status. So I'm going to quickly examine Samantha. Now, in particular, during my physical examination, I want to listen to the quality of the breath sounds during conventional tidal uh, ventilation. Remember, we're going to lose that ability once we transition to high frequency. I want to assess the need for suctioning, uh, and I want to perform a quick cardiovascular assessment. I want to make sure that there's adequate cardiac output. Uh, we typically don't monitor cardiac outputs, outputs in these patients, so I'm going to monitor uh, peripheral perfusion, capillary refill, uh, because again, there's a potential for introducing some hemodynamic instability when you transition from conventional ventilation to high-frequency oscillatory ventilation. Manual ventilation and endotracheal suctioning. Now, the next important step, I think, is to manually ventilate the patient and perform endotracheal suctioning. And as we do this, as Barry and I do this, we're going to share with you some of the tricks that we've learned over the years and how to do that safely. So Barry, let's go ahead and prepare to suction Samantha. We have an inline suction catheter, John, so okay. anytime you're ready. That makes it easy. And I must mention that in our sickest patients, we typically will use inline suctioning devices to minimize separation from uh, the ventilator. Okay, Barry, let's disconnect. I'll bag if you don't mind, Barry. I just want to get a feel for Samantha's mechanics. So we have a manometer inline. I'm trying to manually maintain the same ventilator settings, which is virtually impossible, as you know. That's why we do have ventilators. But it's important not to completely de-recruit the lung as we are uh, manually ventilating. So Barry, why don't you have a listen as I'm uh, ventilating? 
Now, Barry, but my exam, I, I think she needs to be suctioned before we proceed. What, do you agree? I agree. I, okay. I hear some ronchi as well as crackles. John. Okay. So let's go ahead and do that. We'll advance our inline suctioning system. Realize that in patients with small endotracheal tubes, the size of that catheter may, in fact, increase excretory resistance to the point where you can actually air trap. So be gentle as you manually inflate. Now notice that we've de-recruited the lung. Even with inline suctioning, you may have seen the pressure loss in the circuit. Uh, there's no way to remove secretions from the endotracheal tube without some de-recruitment. But we try to minimize that by not disconnecting the patient from the ventilator. And then I'm gently reopening Samantha's lungs. Now the other important thing to assess when one is uh, performing this maneuver is how does the patient respond to manual recruitment? Now you've probably read a lot about anatomic recruitment measured by a CT scan or positron imaging, but we're interested here in the bedside at functional recruitment. And the way we define functional recruitment is a positive oxygenation response. So as I'm bagging this patient, I'm watching the monitor and we've noticed that the saturation has gone from 90% uh, on our conventional ventilator to almost 100% as I'm opening up the lung. And we will typically apply a recruitment maneuver of 35 centimeters of water, as I'm doing now, for 30 or 40 seconds, and assess the response. And here we've maintained a saturation at 99%, and again, it increased uh, once we went from conventional to handbagging. So to me, this means that there is recruitable lung. I have demonstrated a positive response to functional recruitment. So almost all the time, patients who respond to suctioning and bagging will respond to the use of high-frequency oscillation. Transition to high-frequency oscillatory ventilation. So now we're going to move to transition to high-frequency. Uh, Barry, you mentioned our, our mean airway pressure. Let's remind me again where we are in terms of a mean. Our mean airway pressure is about 17. Unconventional. So, so we typically say we're going to increase the mean airway pressure on the oscillator somewhere between 5 and 8 centimeters. So, Barry, what do you think, 22 or 23 centimeters? I, I think so, John, because we were still on 80% oxygen okay. as well. So let's uh, set up the ventilator that way. Now, remember, you can set the ventilator up, uh, but as soon as we connect the patient, uh, the settings are going to change because this ventilator is load-dependent in large patients. So be prepared to immediately adjust the mean airway pressure uh, uh, when you uh, uh, connect, following connection to the oscillator. Barry's doing that now. 23.4 centimeters mean. We're going to start with a frequency of 10 hertz. Patient this size, typically, uh, we begin with 10 hertz. We may decrease the frequency subsequently, but 10 hertz is where we would start uh, with a patient around a year of age. Now, Barry's going to demonstrate something very important, and that is the way that we try to maintain lung volume recruitment when we transition. We typically use a clamp, which we apply to the endotracheal tube, a non-cutting clamp. Uh, and at the end of an inspiratory maneuver, Barry's going to clamp the endotracheal tube. He started the piston on the oscillator. Go ahead, Barry. And now I will remove the bag, and Barry will apply. Now the clamp is still on. We repressurize the circuit. We all set, Barry? And now I remove the clamp. So in theory, at least, we've transitioned from manual ventilation by hand. We've clamped the tube. 
We've attached the patient to the oscillator circuit. We've pressurized the oscillator circuit. We've turned on the piston, and then I've unclamped the patient. So let's assess what's happened to our oxygenation. Our saturation has dipped a bit. We always transition to 100%, so we're on 100% oxygen, and our saturation has dipped a bit. Now, that's not surprising because this was a conservative transition in terms of mean airway pressure. Now, the first thing to assess, to assess besides the pulse oximetry, pulse oximetry signal, is the degree of uh, movement of the rib cage, and we call this the chest wiggle factor. Uh, and so we're looking at Samantha's chest, assessing how much uh, wiggle, in fact, is being produced. And I'm keeping an eye on the saturation. It looks like it's at 89% and staying there. So now we can focus a bit on chest wiggle. Now, Barry, I'm not sure we're moving that chest very well. I agree, John. Would you like me to go up on the uh, amplitude Why don't you go up on bit? the uh, uh, amplitude? We're at 53 centimeters delta pressure now. I think 60 might be a good target, Barry. And now I'm beginning to see some chest wiggle. Now, I think it's best to underdo it in terms of chest wall displacement rather than overdo it. Again, our goal is to prevent ventilator-induced lung injury. So I think now with this degree of uh, chest wall displacement, uh, it's, it's an appropriate place to start. Barry, what do you think? What's your assessment? I think it's, uh, I think it's a good place to start, John. Okay. Perform recruitment maneuver on HFOV. So let's go back to the saturation. We're at 91%. Barry, our FiO2 is still one? It is. Okay. So again, We've transitioned successfully, but we're still on what we would regard as toxic ventilator settings. So, Bear, I think we could probably use some more mean. Your assessment? I, I agree. I think we should go up on the mean, given where chest film looks okay. like. Okay. Where do you think we ought to target, Barry? I would, uh, I would uh, do a recruitment maneuver and, and try maybe a three or four higher on the mean. Okay. So we're going to demonstrate now how we perform a recruitment maneuver on the oscillator. We're actually going to increase the mean airway pressure on the oscillator. Let's aim for a mean of 35, Barry and we will then settle down on a mean airway pressure a little higher than we are now. How's that sound? I think that's fine. I'm gonna shut the oscillator okay. off while we do this. Oscillator's off. Now we're gonna slowly increase the mean airway pressure. We're now at 30 centimeters of water. Let's try 35, Barry. I did that manually and we seem to have some success. We're watching our saturation. Okay, we're at 35, John. 35, let's stay there. And generally, the saturation will respond favorably on the oscillator, as it did when we manually recruited the patient. And I'm seeing now that the saturation is rising. It's now 95. Barry, let's uh, come back down. We were at 24 before. Let's aim for a mean of 27. I'm slowly coming back to 27, John. And let's turn the piston back on before we forget to do that. So that was a recruitment maneuver using the device, no disconnection required. We opened up the lung with 35 centimeters of water, and now we've settled back down to a mean airway pressure of 27 centimeters. And our saturation is 96%. Now, I really think it helps to keep in mind this diagram, uh, this picture actually, of an isolated lung preparation that we've discussed. Uh, as we open the lung up, it requires a fair bit of pressure to distend the lung. However, once fully recruited, the lung does not need as much of a continuous distending pressure to maintain full lung recruitment. And the mistake I think people make when they transition to high frequency 
is they're a little bit overly cautious. And they don't initially attempt to open up the lung with aggressive uses of mean airway pressure. Most patients of this size will respond to a recruitment maneuver of 35 centimeters of water. We know that Samantha responded to our manual attempts at recruitment. So almost always, once you transition and don't see a positive response in terms of oxygenation, it's likely that you're on too low of a mean airway pressure. And rather than going up incrementally one or two centimeters at a time, I think it's much more effective to increase the mean airway pressure dramatically with a recruitment maneuver on the oscillator and then increase your baseline mean airway pressure, which you've just seen. Wean fraction of inspiratory oxygen, FiO2. Now let's reassess the patient, Barry. We're on a mean airway pressure of 27 centimeters of water, 10 hertz. Uh, our amplitude is 60, our delta pressure is 60. This is an ideal time to send a blood gas, which we're going to do now. And note that our saturation is at 98%. So in our hands, this is a time at which we will begin weaning the FiO2. We've performed a recruitment maneuver. We've demonstrated functional recruitment. And our definition of a fully open lung is a saturation of 90%, roughly, on an FiO2 of 0.6. So we're going to attempt to wean the FiO2 uh, and demonstrate whether or not we, we've, in fact, fully opened the lung. Barry, why don't we start to wean the FiO2? I'm going to go down to 80%, John. Okay, 80%. And you often don't see a dramatic and immediate response, but again, we're trying to move along uh, to quickly demonstrate whether or not this lung is open or not. We have a, we've sent a blood gas, uh, and uh, we're now continuing to wean our FiO2, saturation hasn't changed dramatically, it's 94%. Let's try another wean barrier. Let's come right down to 60%. I'm pretty comfortable with the way she recruited manually. Okay, that's 60%. 60%, okay. Saturation is holding. Now, in the course of five or 10 minutes at the bedside, uh, we have first demonstrated that there is functional recruitment by manually ventilating the patient. We suction the patient. We've allowed her to recover from suctioning. Remember, suctioning does cause de-recruitment. We've then transitioned to high frequency. We weren't happy with our initial settings. We performed a recruitment maneuver on the oscillator. And in 10 minutes or less, we're now weaning the FiO2. So let me emphasize that it's a two-man operation, two-person operation. Uh, it takes four hands to do this safely. And uh, it always helps to suction and manually ventilate the patient uh, during this transition. So let's uh, send another blood gas barrier. I think it always helps to uh, prove, in fact, that the lung is open. We're going to send another blood gas, uh, perhaps even before the first blood gas returns, so that we'll have data uh, in an ongoing way. And again, if I can remind you, Keep in mind this wonderful picture of the open lung. A lot of pressure to open, but once opened uh, fully, you can aggressively decrease mean airway pressure and maintain an open lung. Hemodynamic considerations. Now, I didn't comment on hemodynamics, 
The mean pressure uh, when we started was in the mid 40s, despite increasing the mean airway pressure fairly significantly from 17 or so on a conventional ventilator to 27 on an oscillator. And don't forget, we were on a mean airway pressure of 35 centimeters during the recruitment maneuver. We haven't seen much change in our hemodynamics. Uh, in our intensive care unit, we tend to manage patients in the uvolemic range. We don't aggressively diurese patients. We don't have many hypovolemic patients uh, uh, with acute lung injury. So in our hands, uh, this is a fairly typical scenario. Be prepared to administer volume during the transition or perhaps use vasoactive agents. But I think uh, generally, if your patients are near uvolemic, uh, the hemodynamic changes that you'll see are really minimal. Adjusting ventilation, CO2 removal. So Barry, are you happy with where we are on the ventilator? I am, John. I would wait for the blood gases to come back and then fine tune. Okay. Uh, now the other thing that occasionally happens is that that first blood gas returns and the CO2 is 60 or 65. And you say, boy, that's a little too high uh, uh, for the moment. Uh, I'm much happier doing that than overventilating the patient. Particularly in this patient population, the oscillator is a very efficient remover of carbon dioxide. So I think uh, the worst scenario is to have that first blood gas return, the PCO2 is 25 or 30. Uh, the tendency is to congratulate oneself, uh, but I think that's the wrong response. That is too much use of the ventilator. So remember, we are focused mostly in pediatric critical care on the pH. So as long as the pH is above 7.2 or so, I think we can adjust the minute volume on the oscillator uh, and uh, achieve a reasonably physiologic pH. A couple of other tips about uh, using high-frequency oscillation, particularly in larger patients, occasionally one will increase the delta pressure dramatically, 80 or 90 centimeters of water delta pressure. Uh, that sounds like a lot, and it is. Remember that there's a filtering effect, uh, first by the endotracheal tube, and then by the branching generations of the tracheobronchial tree, such that the pressure change in the alveolus is minimized. But 80 centimeters delta pressure is a lot. Uh, if we continue to have hypercapnia on high uh, 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 delta pressure settings, we will occasionally decrease the frequency of the oscillator. This device is much more efficient at alveolar ventilation at lower frequencies. So in order to augment alveolar ventilation, when you've increased delta P, delta P dramatically, we will occasionally decrease uh, the frequency. But our blood gas has just returned. Barry, what's our blood gas? Um, we have a pH of 7.29, CO2 of about uh, 60, yep. and our PO2 is about 65. Okay. So, as predicted, our CO2 has risen a little bit. Uh, our pH is 7.29. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, the uh, PO2 has responded nicely. Uh, and remember, we're monitoring saturation, oxygenating efficiency continuously with our pulse oximeter. And we've maintained a saturation of 92%. So let's review our current ventilator settings, Barry, and let's see if we're happy with this transition. Well, we're still on a, an amplitude of delta P of 60. Our FiO2 is 0.6, and our mean airway pressure is 27. 27, and our frequency is 10 hertz. The IDE ratio was 1 to 2 with 33% inspiratory time. That's what we almost always use. Rarely do we increase the inspiratory time. Uh, that potentially 
can greatly increase the transmission of distal uh, pressure change. So we will increase the inspiratory time only uh, under extreme circumstances. And with the settings that Barry's just mentioned, we have a saturation of uh, 93%. Our hemodynamics reflect, uh, I think, a safe hemodynamic transition. Uh, our, mean, mean area, our mean arterial pressure remains in the mid-40s, and our heart rate hasn't changed dramatically. So, Barry, I think you should pat yourself on the back. I think this was a successful transition to high frequency. Uh, and a couple of other cautions. Uh, at this stage, I think it is worthwhile to be patient, both with ventilator changes and with blood gases. Uh, there is a time-dependent recruitment phenomenon, particularly in larger patients, whereby uh, increases in mean airway pressure may take some time in order to generate uh, 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 alveolar opening. Uh, and similarly, uh, small changes in the uh, delta P uh, may take a while before alveolar ventilation is improved enough to lower the CO2. So at this stage, the patient has a nice physiologic hemodynamic profile. Uh, we've demonstrated a fully open lung. Uh, we're on 60% oxygen. Now uh, it's, it's time to uh, be patient. Uh, we typically won't suction this patient for the next 12 to 24 hours. We, that's another reason to perform aggressive suction just before transition. And I think at some point in the next six hours, a chest x-ray is helpful to make sure that we haven't produced uh, lung overinflation. Barry, any other suggestions that you might have? I, I think you covered it all, John. Okay. Thank you, and I hope this was helpful. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.